The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. I'm Sharon Kleina. I want you to know that long ago when I decided that the water is the power of our lives on this earth, I I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center, and our goal and our dedication, our focus, our mission are is water worldwide and the power that it has with our lives on this earth. Without water, there would be no life. And today we've been learning more about climate change and environment. The word environment is very versatile, has many meanings. There's an ecosystem. And uh, we, we are going to learn more about from, with this show what we can learn about the classroom of all of this. We're confused, and I don't care who you are. We're all learning. We're all somewhat confused. I determined that if it's a classroom procedure in the show that we could learn that if you conduct the radio talk show, this one, as a classroom, the listening would become something you might go study and you might follow through and want to also begin to research and join in. We even had a very famous author, uh, Robert Cantrell, on uh, to discuss patenting an idea of the environment. So there's a lot of things we can do with a classroom from the special guests that we have that are teaching us so much every day about our environment and what is going on with the energy of our planet throughout the world and our relationships. This classroom, when you're through listening, go study. Go onto the website. Learn more. Follow through in your spare time. Our guests are very special people and spend a lot of time with their uh, lives professionally learning more every day. And you'll never hear a tone that we know it all. Don't ever think you know it all. You're learning. The water that you must be drinking every day is also very important to your health, and that's part of the show is your health, environmental change, is you must be drinking because you're 80 to 90% water. You left your mother's womb and you entered in the air you breathe. No more water. It's a fluid, like one of our special guests said, scientists. You're living in the fluid of air, which without the moisture in the air, there is no life. And there are two kinds of moisture fluid in the air. We've learned there's relative humidity, which means the temperature, and then there's absolute, which means constant. You must be drinking 8 to 10 glasses of water a day to be able to absorb into your body and detoxify and keep you healthy. We're learning a lot about water all over the world with the show. We're learning that 1.1 billion people in the world do not have access to safe water. That's 1.1 billion out of over 6 billion. That's a lot of people. 
2.6 billion people do not have access to safe sanitation. That is also a problem because it can cause a lot of global diseases. 1.8 million children are dying a year because of they're depending upon people that are older than them, wiser, more accomplished to provide the child some safer water, safer health, a better life to give them a chance to grow and live and be and be healthy. That's our responsibility when we called when we grow up and and become what called adults to master the our lives of what can make a better earth, make a better place and be healthy. We've been learning more about the swine flu and the contagious diseases that are around our world. Remember with flu uh, and and allergies and colds and and other diseases, the more water you drink, the chances you'll be fighting that problem because more water you drink, it can help you. You need to wash your hands every day. It's what you're learning now. It's very important. Wash your hands several times a day. Eat proper nutrients, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Be wise with what you save in the refrigerator. Maybe it should be thrown away. And, and be wise about your bedding. Bedding needs to be changed every week. Because if you're not changing your bedding every week, you may have flora, skin shedding, your own uh, body laying there may have brought something to the bed that you didn't want to be there for more than a week. So be wise. Be thinking about your health. Today we have a very special guest, and I'm really excited about them. Dr. Dwayne Cecil, who has been with NASA, who is now with the United States Geological Survey team heading it, uh, is going to be our guest today, and I am full of questions, and we are very privileged to have Dr. Cecil on here today with his background. You'll hear more about it. Our second gay guest is going to be Dave Modir, who's with the Arizona, with, in Arizona with the general manager of the Pro- water project down there, learning more about Arizona, the desert conditions, getting the water they need for their survival, their life, their health. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the surface of the eye, the tear film, without eye drops. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're 
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Cecil. Are you with us, Dr. Cecil? I'm here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. I know how busy you are. And am I excited about picking your brain? Well, I'm excited to be here, and I, uh, your introduction was spot on. Very okay, good introduction. Okay, well, thank you. Now, uh, before we continue with our classroom here with our audience worldwide, I want to hear a little bit about you, because you've been with NASA. Now you're with the US, United States Geological Survey Group. Tell us about wh- what you've been doing, because you've really spent a lot of time with research. Uh, I have. I've, I've been in the field, uh, boots on the ground, if you will, uh, for about 30 years now, uh, looking at paleoclimate signals. How, uh, what kind of signals do we see in environmental archives like tree rings and ice cores and, and lake sediments? Uh, we call them lake bars, lake, uh, the, the sediments at the bottom of, of lakes. What kind of climate signals do we see in those archives of past climate changes, and what does that tell us about how the climate may change in the future? And, and just a, a couple things I wanted to say about that, but, but first I'll give you just a little bit more of my background. Um, I have, have looked at these climate signals, uh, the archives of climate signals on a global scale. Now, you were with NASA, the applied sa- uh, uh, scientist with NASA, with applied sciences for quite a while, so you've taken this from uh, a NASA approach to probably another approach too, an uh, additional cor- approach? Uh, that's correct. I've, I've taken the experience as a paleoclimatologist, and I al- also have an engineering background, and you know mm-hmm. NASA is a, an engineering organization. and mm-hmm. So I work at that nexus between engineering and systems engineering and how we look at, at the Earth as a systems from, from all of the... Universe. From, from all the universe, from mm-hmm. all biodiversity to land systems, ocean systems, and, and use uh, some of the tools at NASA, remote sensing, Earth observation satellites, and, and how do we relate those kinds of signals that we're measuring in the, in, in the atmosphere. With our audience, I'm kind of glad, Dr. Cecil, you mentioned the biodiversities um, uh, with the planet Earth compared to the universe, because people forget um, as much as they think they're learning, as much as they you know, can absorb, let's say that we're living on a planet, that we're living with the Earth planet, but there's a universe there. Uh, that's correct. And basically what I did at, at NASA, I was a chief scientist of the Applied Sciences Program, and we were looking at ways that we could use NASA Earth Science products from, from the observational satellites in better ways for societal benefit. How, how do we connect, better connect that nexus between applied basic processes research, how does the Earth system work, and how can we use that information better for societal benefit. And, and it is the water planet. One of the things that we really concentrated on is, is what are the impacts as the climate changes, which is only one stressor on the water system. There are many stressors out there. And, and when you say the word stressor, what does that mean when you're, with your background for our audience to understand? That means what are we doing as humans that add additional burden to things like water supplies. As population grows, as we develop our our cities and and our urban areas begin to sprawl out into our agricultural areas, what impact does that have on on water resources? 
and now superimpose on that kind of development on a global scale, superimpose climate change. And, and how is that going to affect availability of water and quality of water as we, as we develop as, as a species? And, and this planet uh, could continue to support uh, the human population at about a half a billion to a billion people living a Western lifestyle. But we're now at, at uh, about six and a half billion. And In fact, I have the latest one today. Uh, we're at six billion seven hundred and seventy-three million seven hundred and eighty-eight thousand three hundred and eighty-eight people. We grew by one million four hundred and seventy-four thousand and better in one week. And and we're projected to be about nine billion souls by the year twenty thirty-five. So mm -hmm. take those actually the the use and misuse of water supplies and superimpose things like climate change. And, and we have some serious rethinking and some planning to do based on and the exciting, best exciting, exciting thinking. Yeah. People should look at it as, as an exciting way to approach the word eternity for Earth to last forever and to be people to become healthier to live with the Earth. I agree. I agree. And I think one of the things that we, we need to – it really doesn't matter if you call it global warming, you call it climate change, uh, you call it – resource reallocation, uh, population, recognizing what's happening in the human population on a global scale. There are things happening in the environment, whether you know, there's still some debate in the United States in the public community, there's still some debate on uh, what are the drivers of global warming. There's debate, I don't think people debate any longer that the climate is changing and the atmosphere and the oceans are warming up, but they are still debating on whether or not it's natural or or there's a human driver behind it. And I think that if we can get past those questions and concentrate on the fact that there are changes, and no matter what the reasons are, if we can address those together with the best available science, it just makes a lot of sense for, for the natural resources. What well, you just planet. said, and you can correct me, doctor, let's get away from the personality of uh, looking at it. Let's look at the... Uh, Kind of like uh, Albert Einstein say, there's no such such thing as a straight arrow. Things are flexible, and if people would start looking at, like you said, focus on what what this is, and that you begin to solve things more scientifically. In fact, a good scientist never makes up their mind or has a strong opinion. They keep looking at what's to be learned. Um, people out there, doctor, have a tendency to listen to the news media, and they're confused about what is what. And you just mentioned the fact that if we get away from, I believe, the personal side of it and start looking at the real uh, nature of what might be happening, we can begin to solve it for a long term. And probably, doctor, wouldn't it be changing all the time because there's a change on our earth every day? It is changing. It is changing all the time. And I think that's part of the the reason for the debate still in, in the U.S. media and U.S. public is, well, it's natural changing. There isn't anything that I can do that's going to change the climate yeah. on a long scale. And so I'm, I'm not agreeing with it, and I'm not going to do anything to address it. There's nothing I can do anyway. It's going to change. Right. Well, you know, that's, that's really, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, that's the wrong attitude. The attitude is, Look, I've lived in this area for 30, 40 years, and I know things are changing. I see that that the 
the trees are trees are leafing out earlier in the spring and and the fall takes much it goes much longer into the end of the year before the onset of winter and winter is milder than it than it was 30 years ago when i was a kid things are changing so how can i take a look at that and maybe change some of my lifestyle to address what i think is the crown jewel of natural resources and that's water how am i how can i more efficiently use water and and try not to impact that resource Mm-hmm. Um, without thinking about what it is that I'm doing. And I think that if we, if we all take that approach, then as the climate changes, they'll, we'll all be able to, to live better lives and have more natural resources available to us. But if we all just keep living as we have 10, 20 years ago, uh, there's just too many people on this planet. Dr. Cecil, have you noticed um, uh, that when we're out there listening to all that's going on, that you don't hear about environmental uh, planning for water. You don't hear about, it, it, it's all this global warming and, and, and climate change, but you never hear about the word water. Uh, and, and to me, for myself, and I put millions of dollars behind this with my group, is the water. Without the water, there is no water. I mean, there's no life. No, that, you're absolutely correct. And, and yet... Um, are when we get up in the morning and we put our feet on the ground, and I don't know whether you're living under the bridge making it work for you or coming to the how you're living. You're beginning a day living on the planet together. This is a family planet. And without water, there is no planet. And without safe water, safe sanitation, without people like yourself without people that are involved with what I do, putting enormous amount of energy and very philanthropic almost um, funding toward understanding the value of water to help all people on this earth be a better place. Now, you've been uh, very much in tune to uh, learning more about the ecosystem uh, and its physical processes, everything there is to understand. But you came to conclusion also that water is the primary life. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, especially in the United States, uh, because we we manage our water systems and have managed our water systems for decades, I think we take it for granted. We we get up in the morning, we take our showers, we turn the faucet on, have a drink of water, we water our lawns and our plants and our gardens, and we really take the use and the availability of water for granted. But as these stressors that we've already mentioned, and climate change is just one of them, as they begin to... Uh, make the availability of water and the quality of water less than what we we have become to expect, then I think we'll it, it'll be more in our minds and more in our thinking and our planning that that it is a precious resource, and it is it is under assault. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to listen to our sponsor, and when we come back, let's talk about what you and your geological team have been learning, some of the things that you're trying to do to bring this to attention, and maybe some of the uh, different directions that you think that we all should be considering uh, to, uh, to give you the support that you need to m- make that water there here for eternity. We'll be right back, Dr. Cecil. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the surface of the eye without eye drops. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Thank you. 
You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Cecil, let's go on with what you were telling us about some of the programs that you've been developing, that you've been discovering that might help this planet be a better place. Uh, I was beginning to, to tell you about an initiative across the entire federal sector with our, our private sector and academic sector partners in developing uh, uh, climate services for the nation. We have the National Weather Service. We all depend on weather forecasts on a daily basis, whether we're going out to recreate or for agriculture or for watering our lawns. We all, we all depend on the weather service, and it's very successful. It works on a global scale from Earth observation satellites down to observations on the ground and in the ocean. And we're proposing to do the same kind of a thing for climate services uh, for the nation and, and for the world across the federal sector. And uh, Now let me follow you. Um, I understand when people get up in the morning and they want to understand the season they're with and they want to understand what the weather might be. In fact, I need to tell you uh, and our audience uh, that this Saturday, outdoors on the lawns down here, I live in a cabin on the Rogue River, we're having uh, our 13th year for Save a Child's Life Foundation to recognize melanoma in time for children, and we donate to the Shriners Hospital for uh, melanoma research and the Dornbecker Oregon Health Sciences for research, and this is our 13th year. So, Cecil, Dr. Cecil, we only want it to be sunny. <laughs> so is Hopefully there anything you can do? <laughs> One year we had a, a tropical rain here in southern Oregon. Everybody was running around under tents. The water was running off the top of tents. Everybody was soaked, but we made more money that day in our, <laughs> in our donations, and yet it was warm. But anyway, back to uh, you and what you're thinking. They've discovered they could add a new technology to understand the global climate? Well, what the plan is is to, uh, across again, across the entire federal sector, is to leverage what we're all doing. We're all trying to understand how the climate is changing, how it's impacting these natural ecosystems and, and natural resources. And instead of doing it agency by agency, we're all trying to pull our talents and pull our, our funding that, that Congress gives us each year to, to better serve the taxpayers and, and the American public and, and the global community 
in, in teaming together on the landscape, we all have talents, we all have different uh, ways of looking at how these systems are, are interacting and, and how the science is playing out. And so what we're trying to do is use our observational networks, how we're looking at climate change in the atmosphere, in the oceans, on the landscape. And the so you're almost kind of like, I'm going to be very novice here, um, you're looking at the moon, you're looking at the stars and the rainbow, and you're trying to understand the universe and its relationship with the planet Earth and how you can begin to predict futures. Am I, am I wrong? Oh, no. No, you're not wrong. Uh, the predicting the future is, is very tricky. I mean, we, we see it in the economic uh, sector. Uh, we all deal with it when we look at insurance that we may want to buy for whatever purpose. Predicting the future is, is difficult, and it's, it's often been used as a reason to not make a decision in climate change science and applications, and I mm -hmm. think that's a wrong approach. Okay. What we need to do is get the best science we have, the best minds looking at the observations from the mm -hmm. landscape and from the atmosphere mm -hmm. and the oceans, and doing the best we can to pre predict a range of climate change that we may see over So you the go into, um, and, and uh, let's see if I can figure, uh, understand, so you go into the watersheds, you go up to the glaciers, you understand uh, what is happening at Antarctica, you're understanding with the system as it's moving and it's connecting and communicating with each other, you're trying to learn what can we learn to be able to, I will, I will probably even say this, save the water. In other words, you don't want it all to go, the fresh water, you don't want it all to go to the ocean, I'm sure. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Did I follow? Am I okay? No. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on. And, and as you. we try to predict what we think the changes may be, okay. One of the one of the hardest things to predict is the human reaction to what's happening in our environment. So you're saying human reaction to how much irrigation, how much flushing the toilet, how much everything else. All right, and a perfect example that we all just lived through is Hurricane Katrina in the city of New Orleans. Okay. No, no one predicted that as people moved away from New Orleans and we tried to relocate and move them back in, no one predicted that something like 20, 30% of the people would not return. Um, those kinds of things are difficult to predict on a watershed scale. If you change the demographics, the, the human factor in a watershed by 10, 20%, it's hard to predict where those people may move within the watershed. Will they move back to the floodplain? Are they gonna move to high ground? When you put those kinds of uncertainties on top of the observations and the measurements we're making in the field, it makes it difficult to say with 100%, this is how the climate's going to change and these are going to be the effects. Now, what was the, um, you just had an analyze, analyzing the Katrina uh, behavior, human behavior. What about the tsunami? Did they have also uh, anything that was kind of surprising to them when the tsunami was all over and done? Um, nothing off the top of my head from the social sciences side. Okay. Uh, from, from the physical sciences I'm going side, for the physical. Yeah, the hard sciences side, uh, we all were surprised about the breadth and the, the length of the impacts across the, the Pacific of that tsunami. Uh, I, I think you're speaking of the one in Indonesia. Yes, I am. I'm uh, sorry. Tremendous yeah. amount of, of power and, and energy that was widespread over hundreds of miles. And, and mm -hmm. 
most of us were surprised about the the amount of energy that was still in that that system uh, a thousand miles away. I want to ask you a question that came across my mind. Um, when you're studying uh, all of the, discovering all of these different directions, you're trying to absorb as scientists. Uh, what about earthquakes and the plates of the Earth? Are you finding that it has a relationship that you have to also study? Uh, it does, but not directly to climate. Not directly to um, the climate and not directly to the water? Right. But, okay. however, it definitely, uh, again, I go back to talking about stressors on the natural resources and, and the ecosystems. And, and those are some of the natural hazard stressors that can change flow of water patterns and now superimpose population growth and development and climate change. So there's a whole host of things that, that we look at as earth scientists, and that's why we all are taking a systems approach. And biologists and, and ecologists and hydrologists and geologists and engineers and social scientists and economists, we're all beginning to work together. Now, is this kind of a system. new approach to bring in social science with it? Um, it's a new approach in the United States. The Europeans have been, been doing it for quite some time. They're, they're at least, I would say, a decade ahead of us in taking a, a more systematic approach to it. We've done it on an ad hoc basis and done it very well in the United States from project to project or program to program or issue to issue. We haven't done it so well systematically in the United States, but that's changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, We're engaging all the sectors, private, public, academic, we're engaging all the sciences, social sciences, economic sciences, economy, uh, the hard um, physical sciences, and, and engineering. And we're linking it all to policy and, and decision-making and getting the decision-makers sitting at the table with us now from conceptual stage of designing an observational network in a watershed to try to understand the climate change. The decision-makers are sitting with us. The resource managers are sitting with us. Now, I'm going to ask you something that you might help our listeners learn on this Earth planet. Earth um, is the aquifer. Did you know there is amazingly, a lot of people don't understand the function and origination of an aquifer, and we're living on a planet that is influenced by aquifers all over the planet. Can you describe the word aquifer to the listeners? I sure can. I'm glad you you brought that up because it's, um, in the United States, at any rate, it, it's out of sight, out of mind. We all see surface water resources, lakes and streams and glaciers and snowpack, and we all use them to recreate. We all use them for agriculture, and, and we all see that. But the, the aquifer is, is water resources that are under the ground, and, and they're out of sight. So a lot of us don't think about that resource. In the United States, about 40% of the nation's public water supply are from groundwater resources, from water that's stored beneath the surface of the ground. And there's about, and I'm going to say 40 again, so don't get, don't get confused, about 40% of the nation's water supply is groundwater, and there's about 40 million people in this country that obtain all of their drinking water from, from private domestic wells. Mm-hmm. That's not even counting the public groundwater systems mm-hmm. that are, are absolutely critical for places like Phoenix, Arizona. Now, um, where do you, in the United States, let's say, let's start out here in this country, and I'm not, and remember, we're just going to be discussing like a classroom, and it doesn't mean you're going to have all the material in front of you to say exactly, but 
where is the largest body of water in an aquifer in the United States? That would be the High Plains Aquifer that's in the central part of the, the country, uh, Nebraska. It actually stand, extends from, from Texas uh, up into South Dakota. And that's uh, a large aquifer system that's pre predominantly, primarily used for agriculture in, in the central part of the, the mm -hmm. United States. Now, uh, in the other part that I was reading recently about boundary springs mm -hmm. uh, near the Cascade Mountains, uh, Crater Lake region, has an enormous amount of body of water, too. It does, and, and where I live in southeast Idaho, the, the uh, Snake River Plain aquifer is, is a large body of water. In Idaho, when you look at, at uh, per capita consumptive use of water, Idaho, where I live, is, is much higher, is, is the, the highest per capita consumptive use in the United States, and it's from the Snake River Plain Aquifer, and it's for agriculture, predominantly for agriculture. Have they been so studying we, in your group about uh, some new methods to help our agriculture? Because look what's happening, Doctor, down in California with the agriculture being such an enormous uh, value to the economy and to the world's food sources and more, and all of a sudden they have no water. Right, and it's... And that really is what it comes back to, and it's it's because of changes in, in precipitation patterns that are linked to long-term climate changes. And just give you a, uh, some examples of, of how climate change can affect surface water resources. There's changes in atmospheric water vapor content. Precipitation and evaporation patterns are changing with climate change. And the snow cover and, and the melting of ice caps and glaciers is increasing. Soil temperature and soil moisture is changing. Soil temperature is going up. Soil moisture is going down. Can and you all, imagine, doc yeah, can you imagine doctor, uh, you've been a farmer uh, providing the wealth to the, of the world, um, the food chain, and it became an economy uh, for the community, uh, economical um, base for the community, and then all of a sudden, all that hard work and all that investment and all the economy, economic impact to a community of what's happened in California. Um, it just, you know, you look at it and you wonder how in modern times could something like that be so extreme of an impact uh, to the economy, number one, but the food, choice, uh, the food chain of the world. No, you're right. It's, it's significant, and, and we can look at past history and see uh, losses of civilization with, with apparently long losses of drought conditions yes. and, and movement world. of civilization. And, and the problem is I, one of the huge issues as I see it is we can't wholesale change our way of life and move communities around because there are so many of us now. Mm -hmm. so we really have to start thinking about where we're developing and, and look at that, um, the movement from urban to rural areas and that interface and, and really start looking at how do we regulate development there and how we regulate development on floodplains and how can we recycle wastewater for usage. And all these things have to start coming into our plans. And, and again, this is just, it's not, it's not necessarily climate change. That's because population You're change. saying it's our human change. Too. There's human change. In now, you know, Dr. Cecil, I'm almost out of time here, but I will mention something I've said to everyone. Um, it's got to get down to our youth. It's got to get into our children. Um, you know, I have this thing. I am um, 
67 years old, I truly believe still that there is no imperfect child and that children of the world are the perfect. And if we can educate them, make them aware of concern of good manners and concern of the environment, which good manners, Dr. Cecil, mean concern of others around you, the environment. So that if you're concerned and you're polite and you're always involved in concerning yourself with life around you, that is the environment. The children are starved to learn. Yeah, I and we agree need more. to educate them from right at the beginning. Uh, this is the earth you're living with. You, have, you can enjoy this, but you will pay forward what you can do for it. You are important to this eco. You're, you're valuable to the earth. And you know, Dr. Cecil has nothing to do, you boy, me girl, you color, you what? You have long hair, I have short hair. It has nothing to do with anything but concern and good manners at all times about the environment. We're needing to uh, close, but do you have um, uh, anything um, you'd like to leave with your audience worldwide on what we're t- you're trying to do and the U.S. Uh, Geological Services here in the United States, what they're trying to do? Well, one of the exciting things I see, and it's related to what you just said about uh, about, about the youth, we're finding more and more on a daily basis that students are coming to us that have undergraduate degrees in, in the hard earth sciences and physics, geology, and what they're doing is they're coming to us and they're saying, you know, I, I, I went into this science to understand how the earth system works, and I wanted to do research to better understand how the earth system works, but now I'm more interested in using those talents and that drive and that desire for societal benefit. So how do I get into applied sciences? How do I use my research to better understand how decisions are made at the local level and how we can better use the science for societal benefit? We've seen a tremendous increase in students coming to us and asking about graduate-level programs that are in applied geophysics, applied or science. Now, I'm going to ask you, have you had also as many females as you have males interested? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, actually probably in applied sciences and, and policy and, and that nexus between science and, and policy and decision-making. Um, I would say probably just off the top of my head, we've actually seen as many females as males, if not more. Okay. Well, this is something that we ought to, uh, I, we have to go, and I hope I can disturb your life again and come in and bring you to the classroom again. I will have a lot of questions, but isn't this an exciting new future uh, for the world to think about as you here in America thinking about more applied sciences and research for young, youthful uh, people to start looking at seriously adding something important to this world? It, yeah, and, and, and it's a lifelong um, professional occupation that they could be involved in. It is. It's a very exciting time, and I think all the debate in the American public over climate change and global warming has really helped us focus back on some of the things we really need to be thinking about, reallocation of natural resources and where we live on the land. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today, and uh, we will do this again. We will be listening to our sponsor, Nature Sears I Missed, and we'll be right back with our second guest, David Modir. Oh, David, I guess you're with us.
Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. We have a special guest, David Nodier, today, who is the general manager of the Central Arizona Project uh, in um, Arizona. Uh, supplying water to central Arizona desert areas. David, are you with us? I was. Oh, you were. I know we're having a little technical. Uh, <laughs> okay. You're there. <laughs> you know, this technology of worldwide radio and then bringing our guests from all over. Uh, once in a while we have that little channel. <laughs> I understand. Uh, it's called human understanding. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, David, you are the general manager of Concerns for the Water in Central Arizona. Tell us what they're doing. Well, I think that there's a uh, number of concerns, certainly for the Central Arizona project. Uh, We are the major supplier of water into Central and Southern Arizona, about 80% of the population of Arizona, so it's an extremely important resource. It moves over a million and a half acre feet of water uphill for 336 miles from. Now let's back up for a second. When you said you're moving water uphill, we just got off with a uh, Dr. Cecil, Dr. Dwayne Cecil, who is with the U.S. Geological Service, but he's also been with NASA for many years as a head scientist in concerns of the climate change, water, and more. When you say you're moving the water uphill after our last guest, what are you doing? Well, it's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, we move it. We take it out of the Colorado River over on okay. the border of California so and Arizona. Are you building canals? Uh, we have a very large canal. That, okay, there uh, we go. We're moving it through a canal. That is correct. 336 okay. miles uh, from the river up all the way to Tucson, which is about 3,300 feet uphill. Now, what is your backup of water in long term? Uh, let's say the Colorado is something unusual might happen in long term. What would be the backup to your water plan? Well, I think that's a very good question because that's the the issue that we're dealing with on several levels today. Right, right. They brought you in. 
Well, uh, hopefully that's <laughs> we have a good solution to this, but we yeah, are in the midst Dr. of Dr. Cecil, I think. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm I'm uh uh, that's his background for over 30 years has been studying, of course, with NASA, all that they did with the universe as a head scientist, but now he's with the U.S. Geological Survey Group out of Idaho, but they're studying it all over the world. Um, uh, the backup uh, of this earth to have the water, because without water, David, you know, Arizona would begin to have a serious economic problem and health problem. I always say you'll be unhealthy before you really understand it. The economic problems. Uh, now, what, when you in the winter, let's say in the north in the season, when your snow bunnies will say him come back to Arizona, um, how, what is the population in Arizona? Well, the population uh, in uh, the Phoenix and the Tucson metropolitan area probably rises about fifteen percent mm-hmm. during uh, the winter so months. Your water, your water demand is really increased. It does. We we we've been fairly flat with the economic downturn, but prior to that, we were increasing demands to the population of anywhere from four to eight percent a year, depending on the locale where we're at. So, when you when you're supplying water to eighty percent of your population, and they depend on that being there, the cities depend on that that supply being there, and you're moving it uphill, you can't stop doing it. Uh, it's a real issue for us to make certain that we have a sustainable supply of, of water. So we've been engaged with our our municipalities and industrial customers and the Native American tribes for about 18 months now through a process to determine what is the best uh, option for us in terms of uh, going for additional Now, what supplies. are you learning are some of the options? We're learning that... Uh, both now, and local. remember, I didn't want to put you on a spot. What I mean is, what do you think you're discovering that might be a future idea for options? Well, I think we're discovering that there's a great deal of interest in three areas. Desalination, uh, particularly of brackish groundwater that exists in, in Arizona. Uh, though That's probably one of the primary things we go, go after. I think demand management is another area that is of can generate at a, very, at a much lower cost, mm-hmm. additional extension of the life of our, our supplies. Now, how is the, um, you may not know, and if, don't let me put you on the spot, but you could look at it and we could do another show sometime. What are your aquifers there in Arizona? Because we were just talking about aquifers in our country. What is the aquifer advantages to you there? Well, the aquifers in Arizona have been very good, and most most of the water used in Arizona when you couple in the rural areas from the with the municipalities is mostly groundwater. Historically, Arizona was a groundwater system until 1980, when the groundwater law was passed, and with the intent of moving the municipalities off of groundwater and onto renewable supplies, and principally the Colorado River supply, which we deliver to our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the aquifers are are good. They've been declining significantly since the 1940s but most of the aquifers particularly in the in the Tucson and the in the Phoenix area have stabilized mm-hmm. because of the switch. Do you switch. think it's because of that new supply you're bringing into the canals? Absolutely. I was going to say of course it would. Yeah. Yes. And I think the third uh, supply of water that we're exploring uh, uh, significantly is reuse. Yeah. reclaimed water and it's mm-hmm. going to be a much bigger part of our picture as we go forward mm-hmm. into the future. Well, I am so sorry we're out of time because uh, they did have some technical challenges, but I'd like to hear about this again because I think 
your your conditions there are something for people to stop and think about and 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 look at uh, because then when they they can learn to be more water management in your area and in also in other states knowing that the supply is coming from another state and um, uh, and the education is so important to your youth uh, to understand for future generations too, David. I would agree. I think education well, is extremely important. Well, can we do this again important. sometime? We can have the full amount of time, and I'm sorry what, that we were not able to get you on sooner. Certainly. I'd be happy to do it at okay, another you, time. And I bet you're having very humid weather down there. Well, it's very hot. Hot. I don't mean humid, hot. What yeah, is your temperature right hot. now? What is your temperature right now? Uh, it's supposed to get a high of about 113 today. 113? Yes. Well, I'm in Grants Pass, Oregon, in Southern Oregon. They can think 107 here today. Oh, my goodness. You're, you're getting up there right along yes. with us. Well, thank you for your time. You're welcome. We appreciate it. Thank you. You have a nice day. Uh, you too. Well, Earth has a secret, and I think you've been learning more about it with the show that we have been providing you, the power of water, environment changes, and your health. Embrace your life every precious moment with Earth's secret. Don't ever take it for granted because Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye because there's so much to learn and you can leave your footprint behind for all the generations and eternity for the future. I want to thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.